had the vision to see an overcrowded marketplace of people spouting their worthless opinions and said, Hey, me too. It's Behind the Line Radio with your host, Kinetic, and it starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Line Radio, a podcast about the making of video games, the business of video games, and the people of the video games industry. I'm your host, Kinetic, a.k.a. Nick, and joining me today, a special crossover, you might say. We've got Enthusiac Zone Judge Greg back again from the Real Hero Talk podcast. How are you doing, Greg? Hello. And from Gamers Without Borders, the other Nick. Nick, how are you doing? Hello. I'm good, thank you. All right. And we've brought these guys together because we've talked about it on Twitter enough, and I finally got around to actually scheduling it, uh, a big Life is Strange discussion. And some of the things that I've kind of particularly had in mind to discuss are things like the characterization, the mechanics, and... um, See, this is this is this is why I, I uh, one of the reasons why I took a hiatus because I keep losing myself in my own talking. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. That's all right. We're, Talk amongst yeah, yourselves. Me, 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Neither me nor Greg really wanted to interject because you were still kind of in the intro phase. And uh, yeah, I mean, but I mean, but to be perfectly honest, whenever you think of teen girls um, in an art school with all their angst. Um, I mean, you think of Judge Greg, quite frankly. That's what that's what immediately comes to your yeah. mind. Like, oh, look at those artsy yes. teen girls and they're angsty. And oh, Judge Greg, yes, that's exactly. So, I mean, yeah. obviously, I'm yeah. I'm I'm uh, central to that. So, oddly enough, this yeah. has been a trend with with your particular choices of uh, uh, fiction that you ingest for a surprisingly long time, too. Yeah, for for whatever reason, and I don't, uh, I can't really say why. It's it just sort of, I don't know if it's like it's just it's a break from you know being the doom guy and shooting everything in the face that I enjoy, or it's the stories do just sort of resonate with me, and it's kind of fun to. I I guess I'm one of those guys who I I don't like the protag I don't like to constantly project on the protagonist. I should say. So I don't necessarily need the protagonist to just be an extension of uh, my own personal self. I I enjoy, you know, using the, the mediums and, and, and books and movies and stuff to have an opportunity to put myself into a character that is very much not me and kind of see the world through their eyes. And if you... To, you know, joking aside, if you think, what is the exact polar opposite of me? It is a angsty teen artsy girl so <laughs> mm. uh, yeah. apparently that's what i enjoy is is the aspect to, to have a different perspective and and a different experience from somebody else's point of view and life is strange sort of scratch that itch uh in the best possible way i regret yeah. that Although choice I think of words I- but i stand by it mm. <laughs> yeah i think as a bit of a counterpoint to that though a crucial thing is that even if you don't relate to Max on kind of the level of you're not a teenage girl, you're not an arty student. I think why Life is Strange works is because under that surface, there are more relatable elements. Like at a fundamental level, Max is at a time in her life that we've all experienced. We've all experienced times where kind of the world feels like overwhelming and we have big decisions to make and we're not sure what to do. And and kind of we look at the relationships and the friends that we have. And I think 
even though Max is not the perfect kind of avatar to imprint on for everyone, it's those fundamental underlying themes that pretty much the vast majority of people can resonate with that I think work so well. Yeah, that's that's very true. Hey, hey, uh, host Nick. Yeah. Should I should I give a spoiler warning? Yes. Oh, probably. Oh, yes. We are because... going to spoil the hell out of this. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, this episode of Behind the Line Radio is a spoiler podcast. Nothing is off the table. Everything is fair game. You've been warned. Oh, yeah. With the, yeah. <laughs> Bruce Willis dead the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. It's still one of my favorite lines from uh, King of the Hill. Man, I'll tell you, the worst thing you can yell in a crowded theater isn't fire. It's Bruce Willis is dead. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. spoilers for everything. And for the sake of this, are we? This is going to, so this is going to extend to Life is Strange, Before the Storm, Captain Spirit, and possibly Life is Strange Two because further details of that have. Yeah, been I mean, there's, there's only so much Life is Strange Two stuff out there, but we are going to talk about it. So. If yes. if you if you wanted to go into Life is Strange two completely clean, this is probably not the podcast experience you want right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, the, this conversation we are talking everything. Life is strange. Everything is, um, as Judge Greg said, on the table. But this isn't going to be. There's too much there. This isn't going to be like a detailed plot synopsis breakdown or anything. No. In true behind the line fashion, we have very few notes. We have very few plans for anything. So this is going to be a freewheeling conversation. And I'd like to start off by pointing out that uh, both of you guys have essentially already pointed out. You know, one of the good things about the game for you guys uh, and me, and one of the reasons I like a lot of unorthodox things really is it's almost like, you know, you recognize that there are different people in the world that have different experiences and you seek out art and representation of them that can give you insight into these different life experiences rather than single-mindedly looking for art and representation that reaffirms your own life experience. Mm-hmm. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. There's a time and place for art that that signifies my own life experience, and and I get that. But so yeah, because we got to do we got to do a real hero talk on Grandma's Boy, don't we? We do, and probably <laughs> down Periscope is also fairly close to the life experience. <laughs> but um, I made I made a point when I was uh, when I was playing Life is Strange because I was playing Life is Strange the first uh, the first series around the same time I was playing Fallout Four. And I just kind of said, let's take a look at these two protagonists. So the protagonist for Life is Strange, we've already discussed, was was Max Caulfield. And she was a teen, artsy, angsty girl um, who was just recently discovering her superpowers. So basically going through teen, artsy, angsty girl stuff. Then you had the protagonist for Fallout 4, who was a, uh, a former veteran, uh, married with a, a, you know, a young child. And I said, so... Between the two of these, which one do you think I should probably relate to more? And th- to be honest, I, I related to, to Max a lot more than I could, you know, the character that I could directly imprint on. And some of it is that when I can directly imprint on the character, I bring my own baggage, mm. you know. But with, with Max, I, 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 I play Life is Strange not so much asking what would I do, but what would Max do? Whereas yeah. when you give me a character that I, I can completely imprint on, like a... Uh, like a Fallout guy or a Doom guy, 
Um, I keep mentioning Doom because Doom is basically exactly what life in, in the Navy is like, in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> word for word. Um, and yeah. uh, another, like a Commander Shepard, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I could fairly well imprint a Commander Shepard. He was, I mean, he was only one rank above me when he when I, w- I was in the Navy. And so it was uh, a, a pretty close thing to be able to sort of imprint. And, you know, then he was in like the Space Navy, which might actually Space be Force. a thing someday. I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're not, uh, it's not getting into it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Backing it up. Yeah. Backing up. But so the point being is that um, there's there's certain things that I I like to play games where I I can say what would I do and I can imprint on and then those are fun. But then there there are games where it's a lot more fun to say well what would Max do? What would Chloe do? And you know what would Batman do? And and I think this this really hit that in a very compelling way because you, you can't just you can't just toss me into a game with with a character like this and say, all right, now now the character's girl go. You have to flesh out the characters and make it compelling. And uh, that's that's what happened here in, in the best possible way. Because, mm. yeah, I think going back to that kind of echo chamber idea, sort of the media we consume, I remember quite vividly because I came to the first season of Life is Strange a bit late, it already finished, uh, and I, I got the collection after that. And I remember when someone first suggested the game to me, I was like, well, this doesn't really appeal, both in terms of kind of the plot and also the style of game. I'd never really gone into sort of the telltale narrative decision-style games, and for a while I thought, well, this isn't really for me, and it was only because of a lot of people that I really trusted their opinions that I went, okay, people are raving about this, there's clearly something good here, and I've never really looked back since. Like Once I took that leap Mm -hmm. of faith, I was rewarded hugely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the game was sort of on my radar and what pushed me over the over the edge. And I'm also going to try to sneak in a Girl Tribe Gaming shout out Ugh. is <laughs> I was I was watching Moto stream one uh, one day and this is back when she was still on, on Twitch. And um, I, I was just talking to her in the chat while she was streaming and there wasn't a, a ton of people in there now, which is not the case anymore because she now has like some 15,000 followers or something. But uh as we were talking, she mentioned and she just asked me, like, hey, have you played Life is Strange? And I said, no, it looks interesting. It's something on my radar. I haven't gotten to it. And and she said, Greg, you would love that game. And I basically thought, like, well, if, you know, if Moto tells you that you would love that game, you better play it. So that's what I did. Yeah. Uh, personally, my experience is I, I, I am just attracted to the unorthodox. And right now, the, you know, walking simulator if you want to call it or narrative driven game as i would prefer to call it or whatever the the sort of genre winds up the label it winds up adopting is kind of just the new you know thing kind of outside the normal mm-hmm. i like and first person narrative that that works too um but uh, this is one that that was getting a lot of um a lot of attention a lot of play you know i went to the um um the GDC awards and, and it was kind of a big thing uh, one year. And uh, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to check this out. And uh, yeah, I, uh, one thing that I I'd like to kind of point out, and this is kind of skipping to the end is the, the sort of uh, characterization of the primary character for life is strange. Uh, it's max beh- uh, before the storm. It's Chloe, but um you know, there it, it, 
one of the things in a lot of games is, you know, the silent protagonist is used as a cipher that that the uh, the the player can just sort of imprint themselves on. Um, they they have very little that that they actually are, and it's up to the player to fill in the gaps. That does not work in. Well, it doesn't work in Life is Strange. I suppose you can kind of do it in other versions like Gone Home, uh, other versions of this genre of game. But uh, it certainly doesn't work in Life is Strange. So how do you how do you take into account the concept of player agency and, and ability to control the characterization of the main character, but actually have defined bounds for that main character? And... In, in one of those several long Twitter threads uh, uh, that kind of devolved into yelling about the quality of Max as a person. Uh, uh, you say devolve. I say evil. Evil, yes. <laughs> developed into, developed is a neutral term. It's not uh, pro or con what it became. But it, uh, uh, in any case, um, it kind of crystallized in my mind that what it was was no max does have a defined character and the it, it's like the different options that you get at at different points in the game you know you know your little conversation tree stuff the options that you have define the limit of her character so like the the actual path she can follow and instead of being like a thread it's more like a hallway and you can kind of move around within it but it's still going within this same sort of general area and the the bounds of that corridor or hallway that's her character and if you take all of that into account then you can say okay this is kind of where she is and i might be you know a, a little bit like her jiminy cricket or something where it's like okay we want to do this one we want to do this one or something like yeah. that which is it was we've talked about a lot, especially in the discussions of Max's character, is that what can you basically hold Max indictable for? And one of my arguments is that any choice presented to me in the game is presented as something Max could and would do, including the final choice, which is how I'm able to justify saying Max is the worst person ever. <laughs> oh, 15 minutes in and we already hit that point. Yep. I mean, it was bound to be said. Yeah. I just, I figured it was the first point I would just put put my stance out there. Yeah, but, but that, I mean, that's that's the thing. That's how I can really justify because in a game with actual murderers, and and this gets brought up all the time. And and I would say, you know, in in the loosest sense, I could say she's probably the worst friend that anyone could ever possibly be. But then when you take into account that she is guilty of every possible choice that could be presented to her, she really is the worst person ever. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like you pointed out, there's murderers in there, but the the ending that you can choose to save Chloe involves destroying the town. In which case, I'm pretty sure more people died. Yeah, yes, that that would be mass murder on on a, on a large scale, um, just for the sake of so yeah. that she can still have a best friend, mm. um, who she was a absolutely awful friend to, and especially um, the uh, before the storm, and more importantly, the uh, that. What was the name of that episode before the bonus episode farewell. before the storm? Farewell. Farewell. Um, if if you played farewell and you still think that Max was a good friend, something is wrong with you. Because what was supposed to be like the nice farewell and the celebration of their friendship turned into me at the end of that, just looking at my screen saying, you really are the worst, Max. Okay. okay. You know what? I, I want to take a bit of a jump off here and talk about uh, before the storm, because 
Um, after playing through everything, I actually kind of write off before the storm from from the narrative. I I am not. I don't know how much involvement. Don't nod the developers of of uh, Life is Strange and and Captain Spirit and Life is Strange Two had in the the plotting and characterization in Before the Storm, but there are a few things that I think are just massively, you know, character breaking, mm. uh, particularly for Chloe. Well, just before we ju- just oh. before we jump into that, I want to make a, just a point about uh, player agency, and I'll tie it back into Before the Storm. That I think a really crucial thing about the player agency is life is own life is strange is that because of the the time rewinding mechanic, you're able to look at all possible outcomes. You've got all the facts to hand before you make. Um, your decision because sometimes you can feel robbed of agency when you make a decision and then something happens that you couldn't possibly have predicted and you go well I couldn't possibly have known I would have reacted differently if I'd known whereas Life is Strange obviously gives you the ability to look at all the different outcomes and make what is in relative terms the best option whereas obviously before the storm didn't use the time rewinding mechanic so you kind of lost you lost that ability to look at every possible outcome. And it was my kind of one complaint with Before the Storm. Obviously, they use this kind of arguing mechanic for Chloe. And while I kind of, it works for her character in a purely sort of gamey sense, I don't really think it added much to the narrative. That's true. And and that's one thing that I, I, I think is a pretty neat thing in Life is Strange, the rewinding mechanic letting you see the consequences, because a lot of the times when you're trying to pick which dialogue option you want to take, you just get like a couple of words that that's there to give you an idea of what it's about. But you don't really know the full context of what they're trying to get at with this little clips. You'd be like, uh, this sounds right, and you go into it, it's like, no, that is absolutely not what I wanted to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've definitely had a few of those moments where you you pick what you thought was going to be sort of a more neutral answer, and then you know Max either goes full negative or full positive, and you're like, oh, that's that's not what I wanted to say there. Mm. No, no, I need to go back and tell Warren something different. Because it was always with Warren. Because <laughs> oh, man, Warren was. We're gonna come back. We are coming back to Warren in a bit. <laughs> yes, there, there. I, I can imagine several ways that that the conversation is going to go concerning Warren. Yeah, but um, what I what I wanted to say for life is strange too, and I can boil it down uh, um, to something pretty simple, uh, because I don't think that the characterization of Chloe really works when you take one game to the next one, because in life is strange too, she was very much still, uh, before the storm. Up. Yeah. Before the storm and into one. Sorry. D- different game completely. Yeah. You're correct. I haven't had enough sleep to, to, to get on for this. So, uh, thank you for catching me. I, I, I keep thinking of it as the, the, the sequel in which it was a prequel. And so I keep thinking in my head of it as two, when that's a different thing. So, yay, modern uh, uh, sequel numbering uh, um, conventions. Mm-hmm. I'll just wait for 10 years when they release another game called Life is Strange mm-hmm. without any identifier, and then we have to start having this conversation again. No, 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 because the next Life is Strange game will be called Life is Strange Captain America Dies, but they can't tell us that because it's a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stealing that joke. You already have. <laughs> I sure have. More than once. Uh, but, uh, okay. So point is in before the storm, in my opinion, Chloe, yeah, she was really broken up over her dad, but, um, it was very much more like, a um, 
hung up on it and still uh, felt very close to him, very, you know, uh, uh, almost fixated on him. I'm not exactly sure the right characterization for it, but compare that to uh, the original Life is Strange. And there was one particular conversation in episode three. I actually went back and looked this up in the script because it... um, uh, I don't think you can avoid these lines. And and because w- when I was playing Life is Strange, I found Chloe very annoying and didn't understand why there would have been a friendship or like you would say that this is the same person. It's great to be around him or whatever Max says in her internal dialogue. And then there was this one line that completely um, uh, recontextualized Chloe for me and instantly transformed her from annoying to highly sympathetic, which was um, the line here. Uh, They were in the uh, truck discussing um, like her father. And she says, uh, uh, um, you know, something about uh, blaming him for, for dying. And he said, Max asks her if she actually blames her father. And she says, yes, I do. Damn right. He chose to go out that door and leave me forever. Or in a different one, it's um, talking about her dad and Max refers to to David, her stepdad. And her reply was, I said, my dad, my real father, who got himself killed for nothing. Not that human placeholder for Joyce. So in Life is Strange, she is very much um, blaming everyone else for abandoning abandoning her. Um, And... I totally don't see how Chloe goes from feeling very close and grieving for her father in before the storm to essentially blaming him for the choices that he made that resulted in his death or even blaming uh, uh, her mom for asking him to go pick her up that resulted in his death. I think it's... Like I, I, I it, and the time frame between doesn't seem enough for that transition, especially considering before the storm implied that Rachel Amber getting into Chloe's life was more of a uh, a healthy healing mm-hmm. thing. I don't uh, that that doesn't that doesn't um, uh, uh, transmogrify into blaming well, I, the him. only counterpoint I would give there, and obviously it's it doesn't work perfectly because in kind of outside context, when you make a prequel to something, there are inconsistencies. But I think in a broader narrative sense, you could make the case that in Before the Storm, we see that with Rachel Amber, that's a really close relationship, like very, very loving, almost to the point of family. And I think after having already lost her dad, then to lose Rachel Amber in much the same way, it kind of leads her to recontextualize herself because she realizes every time I get close to someone, everyone I love ends up leaving, or or in this case, being being killed. and, And you can further... Ex- that, that that can further extrapolate in a sense to Max because uh, while Max herself doesn't doesn't die, Chloe does die if if you choose that ending. So she Chloe is the kind of the consistent theme throughout through Chloe's journey is that she loses everyone she loves, and I think that in a sense is perhaps why she's driven to be kind of very much an outcast, very much shunning a lot of kind of people around her. Yeah, that's basically the where where I sort of made the cognitive bridge there is that, you know, it's once she lost Rachel Amber and now it's basically everybody that she gets close to dies and and now it's it's less of a you know a, a circumstance she can't control and more of a she just blames everybody and and you see like 
I couldn't say blames everybody because at this point, then it's it's almost like she replaced that part of of her psyche and and her her emotional spectrum with Rachel Lambert, and then she goes on to blame her dad in the the, the same way that she blamed Max. Um, the difference being is that her dad didn't have a choice, and Max is a terrible friend. Yeah, I mean, I I can understand that, but I mean, it still strikes me as um, an incongruity because. After several years after her father passed away, I would, I would take that. It, I would think that that frame of mind regarding those events and regarding her perception of him wouldn't be modified in in that way from that event. Also, in life is strange. She's still holding out hope that Rachel is still alive, and uh, her relationship with uh, what was the guy, the skeevy guy's yeah. name, Frank. Frank. Yeah. Yeah. That you only learn during the the course of the game. So she wouldn't have felt she would just be hoping like oh, she's missing. She's still out there somewhere and everything's going to be OK with her. I could I don't. Do you guys remember if, if you learn about uh, the relationship with Frank before that conversation in episode three? I don't remember the sequence of events there. I want to say the Frank was episode four. Does that sound yeah. right? Yeah. Possibly, or, or the, you, you might see Frank at an earlier point, but you don't fully understand the relationship. Oh, yeah. you, you see Frank in every episode, yeah. but I don't think you actually have that that in his trailer experience until episode four. Yeah, yeah, because that's where you get the picture with Rachel Lambert, and you learn that they had a relationship. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it it for me it doesn't work, and I uh, attribute that to the fact that it wasn't the same developer. So it wasn't the same. I, I don't believe it was the same uh, uh, writing crew. So the, that sense of continuity is broken. Yeah. Uh, within, interestingly enough, you, uh, mentioning the argument mechanic instead of the time travel mechanic. Yeah. Um, I found that, you know, Greg, you said that you would play as you would say Max. You would think Max would play. Yes. Like the choices she would make. Mm-hmm. Um, I played much like we once discussed many years ago about playing Fallout 3. It's like I try to I try to be like um, as good as I can with a lot of the choices. It's it, it just feels natural to me to try to do that. Um, however, having an argument mechanic, it made me it, it, it is something that made me feel um I don't know. Natural is not quite the right word, but uh, um, comfortable playing against my normal type because, okay, well, if I want to to get like you could use the argument mechanic to try to, you know, cover for somebody else. So to do the good thing, you do the bad thing or something along those lines mm. yeah. to, to actually be a punk kid, but to get this other result out of it. Yeah. Yeah, well, and some of that is that Chloe is a different person than Max. So I found that Max, Max doesn't see herself as as the worst person ever. Max kind of <laughs> thinks that she's inherently good, um, and she's mistaken. So Max would try to do the right thing in in most of those instances. Um, it's just it's the intangibles that she can't help herself with, and where she's like just a, a bad person altogether. Whereas. Chloe is uh, cannot get out of her own way, and she is um, almost a compulsive self-sabotager. 
So Chloe, mm-hmm. I, I played a very different way in which any anytime the argument was displayed, I would do it, whether it was counterintuitive to what I was actually trying to do, because Chloe could not help herself in those situations. I believe when I played through, there was I did the argument option every time except for one, which was the dinner with wow, Rachel. That's parents. incredible because that was exactly the same for me. Because just just before to go into it, I very much kind of like Greg. I kind of I saw that mechanic in its broader context in kind of a sense of game design that every time it's appears, it's clear the developers would like you to do that to play the little mini game and explore more kind of a conversation. But that point of um, with the dinner scene, I kind of felt like thinking, well, if this was Life is Strange season one era Chloe that kind of doesn't care about the rules, I could see her starting an argument with Rachel Amber's father. But this was kind of a much, well, a relatively speaking, more calmer, more respectful uh, Chloe, and especially with how the rest of that scene plays out. So I was like, no, you wouldn't scream at the father of, of a very close friend of yours. And she's yeah. trying to keep herself under control for yeah. the sake of Rachel. Yeah, and and I would say that's the only time where I actually stopped to think about it. But I, you know, it's about thirty seconds. I'm like, no, Chloe can't help herself. She, <laughs> she cannot. She, she's a she. It, it's it's a compulsion for her. She can't play cool if if she thinks she can win an argument. And I would say again, using the 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 instance of you're not presented with a choice that the character wouldn't do. If the character is presented with an argument. In, in which she can see a way in order to win an argument, Chloe can't help herself. She will take the argument every time. Mm. And that's one of the interesting things about th- that exact difference right there is the player's agency over the characterization of the main character, even in a narrative-driven game, because each of us is perceiving the character a little bit differently. And while in terms of the actual narrative, I mean, like once you complete the dinner conversation, I don't think that it, whether or not you chose the argument actually has any impact on anything that happens after that. Uh, um, no, it doesn't. I, I went and YouTubed it. No, it, uh, it, it breaks down the exact same way regardless. And the dinner yeah. table still gets crashed, which is why you don't have a glass dinner table. I mean, just <laughs> as a side note, or like, or, or like glass coffee tables. You always see it in films. If you've got a glass coffee table, you're going to get stabbed when someone falls on it. Yeah, I mean, don't just <laughs> glass furniture is not a great idea. And I know it looks fancy, but just go for those old fashioned wooden tables, especially if you go to an antique store. We've gone off on a tangent, but I'm going to roll with it. Go to an antique store, get one of those old ones. Like I have I have the dinner table I use is from, I think, the 1950s. And that sucker is solid and it's going to it's going to last forever. And, and you just put a coffee like a, you just put like a tablecloth on it. I don't I don't really see why you need a glass table because you're just, you're just asking for that exact situation to happen. Even not, even if not on purpose, but you know, on accident, you set something down too hard or, you know, somebody trips and I mean, it's, it's, it's a hazard. It is a hazard and you need to. Hello, to welcome to home furnishings with Judge. Yeah, we actually that have was a weird. Glass I, table. I don't know. I don't know what just happened there, but I, <laughs> I blacked out. <laughs> we actually have a little, uh, glass coffee table in our living room. And one of the reasons for that is because, um, it was one of the smallest coffee tables we could find. All right. Well, I mean, just, just don't don't mm. fall through it, yeah. I guess. Too, uh, I, yeah. I, I wonder. Although, uh, you know, to, 
so, I'm sorry. I'm I'm gonna real quick because it has nothing to do with anything, and then we can be done with coffee tables. When I was in the Navy, a bunch of buddies of mine actually took a piece of glass, like and and rounded it off. And what they did is they set it on top of a uh, on a, of a tub, and they uh, ended up gluing it on there. But they put like filled the tub with like sand and like some Coronas and seashells and stuff, and that actually mm-hmm. looked pretty slick. So anyway. That's it. Anyway, I'm done talking yeah, about I always wonder, it's, so. it's a bit of a jump, but it's some topic I don't want to discuss. Well, we, we talk about Warren. I am I'm cu- curious how we feel about Warren. Yeah. Who is, I think, one of the major characters. And again, I think you get a fair amount of agency with him, even though you're not playing as him. And I think... Interesting you say that, because Warren was the earliest indication I had of the limited amount of agency that I would have over okay. Max. Because... Because in episode one, there's the moment where you're giving him his USB drive back and he tries to go in for a hug and you, you like do the weird don't acknowledge it and, and hand him the, the USB drive to kind of shut it down. And I saw that. And I'm like, oh, OK, I got to try yeah. to let him down. And like the entire game, I was trying to find an option Anytime it came up, I was keeping my eye out for some option to to, okay. to let him down, and mm. it never came up until the very end when it's like, okay, do you kiss him or not? Oh, see, now I don't know if it was just the way I was playing, but when I got to that option at the very end, kiss him wasn't yeah, even uh, on the table yeah, for me. I was going to say, depending on how option. you play, that is the one kind of optional option that if that if you're not sympathetic towards him through the rest of the through the previous episodes, you don't get the option to kiss him. It's kind of interesting then that I was trying to, to, to sever the line and that's what kept it open. Yeah, that something. is, that is very interesting. Cause I, I thought from the very first second when, when Warren all of a sudden goes in for that hug, when, when he had no real right to, I thought like, all right, back off, mister. And I, I spent the rest of the game trying to avoid contact with Warren as much as possible, even though Homeboy is texting Max, but every 10 minutes asking her to go see Planet of the Apes with him. Yeah. I was always more sympathetic towards him in the sense of he was clearly very shy and was kind of struggled to express his feelings. But the problem being that because Max was also very shy, she wasn't just going to come out and say, Look, I understand how you feel, but I don't feel the same way because she was equally shy. So I was always kind of, kind of sympathetic for them both that neither of them quite felt confident enough to fully express how they felt. The only thing that always that kind of destroyed the faith I have in Warren's character is something that I never noticed when I was playing, but I've noticed in other playthroughs. Is I believe it's right at the beginning of episode two when you wake up in Max's room. If you look out the window, you can very briefly see that Warren is outside trying to look through Max's window. And I was like, that is that is too far. I will, I will cut you some. Oh, seriously? Yeah. I've never noticed it, yeah. but it is a thing. Okay. That's that that takes him to a whole I, I you know what? Yeah. I always had a bad vibe from him. Hmm. I'm sorry, he's just he's creepy. I don't know anybody who actually, you know, had like shipped Max and Warren because I did not. I, I was just like, back off, man. Just yeah. just back off. The uh, yeah the other well I'd say at the end if you try to ship Max and Warren it's it's a massive violation of Max's character mm. yeah I agree yeah and because the the other thing is again something I never found but is that also during the nightmare phase where they kind of Max runs into all various people apparently if you look in Warren's locker in that period it's full of like pictures of Max in a bikini or something 
And it's like, it's obviously the nightmare element is supposed to be that, but you kind of get a sense that Max is not comfortable with how Warren is. If if, if you take the nightmare scenario as projection of her fears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first, I, I just want to say that that nightmare scenario went way too long. And oh, also, yeah, I just I horrible. just Googled... I just Googled Warren's locker, Life is Strange, and yeah, holy cow, that is creepifying. Yeah. Yeah. War- and you know what? This is just all confirms things I already knew. Warren is just a creepo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's there's to back off. And and maybe maybe I don't know. I'm just I'm just spitballing here. Maybe show attention to somebody who might actually be interested back instead of constantly fixating on the one person who is as far as I know, has only been casually for, I mean, they like movies together, right? So yeah. they, they clearly hang out, but Max has shown absolutely no indication that she's interested in being more than a friend and certainly not while I had the reins. Mm. So Warren seriously <laughs> needs the back. And the sad fact is they do introduce the side character. I believe she's called Brooke, who is really strongly hinted that does like Warren, but Warren won't reciprocate because he's too focused on Max. And he's kind of like, oh, if you stepped back and looked at the bigger picture, you could be happy. But yeah, yeah. well, and that, that's yeah, you know what? And and that just, I hate high school. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was actually a long time. I I because um, Blackwell Academy's got a real college vibe to it. I I thought she was a college freshman. No, it's I I I was under the impression yeah, no, it, was it, was like, school, it was like a boarding it's... magnet school or something for yeah for uh, especially artistic type students. Mm. But then I also think that's in a broader sense why the games kind of works is that it doesn't it has not necessarily a timeless quality, but it doesn't kind of it doesn't explicitly hammer home like when this happened and the environment it happens in. So, like you say, we know Blackwell is a school, but they don't explicitly kind of say what sort of school, how old they are, etc. So I think that is kind of kind of why it works and why it's more applicable, that if you're someone playing the game who's high school age, you'll play it thinking it's a high school. Whereas if you're someone who's been through college or university, you'll see it as more like that. Yeah, and I think some of that also goes to how, um, you know, there's like Twin Peaks references all over. So you kind of have this sort of just um, undercurrent of unreality to the whole thing. Mm. Yeah, so but, I, uh, by the way, what, I just looked it up, and yeah, Warren is totally being a creeper outside Max's window. What is up with that? Yeah. That is, that is, I mean, wow. Yeah. I, one one thing I, I, I would say about the, the whole Warren thing, and that's, like, this isn't to defend any, any uh, such actions or anything like that, um, but this is one of those... Uh, other areas where you can it's on to the audience to fill in the blanks because while that those initial moments do speak a lot about their relationship we don't explicitly know like how they met the nature of the conversations they've had Mm. until now and kind of the way i interpreted kind of you know uh nick you say that that they're both kind of shy and have trouble uh, expressing Mm. themselves like on warren's side that can contribute to um, uh, temptations to, to do such yes. kind of uh, inappropriate skeevy yeah. behavior. And on Ma- on Max's side, well, is this a question of she's really hesitant to, to, to um, you know, let him know that, no, this, this relationship isn't going to go that way? 
Or would it be another uh, valid interpretation to say that, well, she knows it's not going to go anywhere, but she doesn't say anything about it or even entertain saying anything about it because she actually likes having him around in her life in this role to feed her um, that flavor of affirmation. Yeah, because I think I think that's an interesting point because it's Max is not one of the popular girls. She's not someone like Victoria who has kind of all the football jocks around her vying for attention. Like Max is one of the quiet ones. And I think, yeah, it could well be that even though she doesn't want to pursue a relationship with Warren, she likes the kind of affection that, that Warren is giving her. And you could say this does play into Greg's idea that Max is the worst, because to be honest, this is a girl stringing a guy along for her own benefit, which isn't very nice. But I, yeah, I think there is, yeah. there is a point there. It but, certainly doesn't go up to murder, but it's, it is it is not to her credit. Yeah. So, so speaking of murder, and I just think we, we need to acknowledge this at the, at the very least, is that if we're going to hold Max accountable for all possible actions that are presented to her and say we would not be presented with something that is not within the realm of Max's characterization, then, I mean, if we're going to do that for murder on, on a grand scale in the thousands, we also have to consistently say that we, since it's presented as a possible option, it is conceivable that Max would actually reciprocate these feelings for Warren. That is true. As much as yes, I, that is also true. Yeah, I didn't think it, but I mean, if it's presented, and and that's that's my basis statement, then we have to say that there there is a realm, there is a world, there there is there there is a way of being that Max could have in which she and Warren are actually into each other. And I well, I think. I, if, if memory serves, the option to kiss was more like a, a, a goodbye consolation. Yeah, it's a peck on the cheek. It's yeah, it was sort of like the, the final, I'm going to fix this. Uh, this might be goodbye forever. I don't know. And yeah. I almost wonder, does the story kind of hint at the idea that if you take Chloe out of the occasion, um, out of the equation, that Max and Warren getting together would have almost been inevitable. It's only that with the return of Chloe... Max is kind of pulled away from Blackwell and a lot of her other friends, and at a very simple level, she spends all her free time with Chloe, free time that, in theory, she could be spending with Warren. Hmm. And then the question would be, how valid would the relationship with Warren have been in that eventuality? Hmm. But yeah, I I don't know. There's a part, Yeah. Scary locker and looking through the window aside, I still maintain a little bit of sympathy for Warren because I think we've all, I think we can all pretty much say we've been there where occasionally we've had feeling towards people that aren't reciprocated, but we kind of, we well, like to kind of just imagine, just fool ourselves for a little bit. Yeah. Well, I've never gone to the extent of trying to peek in somebody's window. Well, yeah, I, there, yeah with the there's no justification the, there, but yeah, with the exception um, of that. Yeah. That, not trying to justify or excuse, but. To, again, the, the the phrase we've used before is to contextualize, right? And and I, you know, I th- I think part of it is that I I can I can sort of understand where Warren's coming from, and I guess I have some sympathy for that that state of mind that he's in and that awkwardness. And there certainly is some some incredible awkwardness, but uh, I don't I don't know. I think. I don't hold him accountable for the locker because that was that was Max's perception of Warren's attention. Yes. And that it's no matter which pathway you chose, I think that's accurate because he was even even if Max was into him and even if Max was kind of into his, his creepiness, it's still creepiness. And I think 
subconsciously she would know that regardless. And oh, hang on. Sorry. I've just remembered. What? Isn't there a scene where Max is, when she's in the darkroom and she's hallucinating and she hallucinates Chloe um, getting together with Warren? Yeah. And because just, yeah. they were both bad-mouthing her. Yeah. But it's just the point that kind of, if she's hallucinating the idea of someone she likes being with someone else, does that not imply that there's some kind of lingering feeling and element of jealousy there? It, it could imply that. Or I could, I see the way I saw that is these are two people who basically would never have a bad thing to say about Max. Mm. Now, not necessarily true for Chloe. Chloe basically is going through such a, an, a stream of emotions right now that I don't know if she even knows how to react to Max. But it, they felt like to the to to Max, like they were best friends again. Like nothing happened. Like everything was exactly the same. And because for Max, everything's about her. Yeah, because for Max, everything's about her. So I think this was the reason this was a stark difference is because here's two people who are supposed to be all about Max in Max's head, and now they aren't, and that's what's supposed to be jarring about it. Okay, fair enough. Different interpretation. I will give you that. <laughs> and that, and again, that's one of the questions of of the uh, the player's interpretation kind of defines uh, a fair bit of the reality. And in turn, I think that is part of why I have some issues with Before the Storm. And I think that um, uh, Captain Spirit is going to be uh, more in keeping with the 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 feeling of the type of characterization you get from Life is Strange. Mm. Although, can we now reveal the kind of quite major uh, point about the ending of Captain Spirit that's been revealed as a result of more information about Life is Strange 2? Anyone have any objection? No reason not any- to. Well, yeah, the- no, I, I said they were warned. Yeah, so yep. it, has, it has come to light that the uh, right in the final cutscene of Captain Spirit, where Chris falls out of the tree and he hovers and he then looks and sees his neighbours, those two characters are actually the protagonists of Life is Strange 2, one of which has telekinetic powers, so it's actually the younger brother of those two that saved Chris, not Chris himself. Mm-hmm. So it's... Mm-hmm. Which, which, yeah, when I when I was playing through Captain Spirit, I, I figured that the, it wasn't going to be Chris as the main character yeah. in Life is Strange 2, because it seemed like it was too big an opportunity to do world building, and if if Chris is going to be a side character, then that would be a great opportunity to build depth and uh, compassion for a side character in life is strange yeah. too, than yeah. for him to be the main character. Yeah. From, in- from my understanding, life is strange too, is sort of going to be all about this, this journey that these brothers take and the people that they meet along the way. Yes. And I'm kind of under the impression that Chris is going to be one of the people they meet along the way. In fact, in the Life is Strange 2 trailers, you can very clearly see uh, Chris's bedroom window in there. Yeah. So mm. it's more than just a casual, oh, look, there's that kid falling. Let's save him. There's 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 more interaction there yeah. that, that's well, going to take um, place. Credit. Yeah, it would be a wasted opportunity if it was just like, oh, there's a kid well, falling. Well, yeah, one thing, yeah. a theory I do want to credit because I'm just going to repeat what they said is credit to um, – outside extra for their Captain Spirit uh, Life is Strange 2 theories because they point out, and this is going to stretch my uh, geography of the United States a bit, but Life is Strange 2 is set very, very nor- in very, very northern America uh, and then they're heading towards Mexico and Captain Spirit is set somewhere in kind of 
Midwestern America. So the idea is if the Life is Strange 2 characters are traveling south, they will naturally at some point in their journey intersect with where Chris is. Yeah, so I think you're mistaken because I want to say somewhere in there you're actually able to establish that um, where where Captain Spirit takes place, I think, is not all that far from like Blackwell Academy. Okay, which is yeah, which is Oregon. I, I I'm trying to I'm trying to think if I uh, if that's just something I came up with in my head, but I want to say well, like there was somewhere where you you can find something where there's an address, and so you realize that you know it's well, the no, same was state. It, wasn't it that and, Chris's mother was a former Blackwell what? student? She was a former Blackwell student, but I thought there was something about their address or something about where they currently live, their town, that established that it was, it was at the very least within the same oh, state of the union as is, as Blackwell. So I think I yeah. think Blackwell's is, in Oregon. Isn't it yes. the email about train hoppers that has been theorized that because you see an email about people jumping onto trains and it's believed that that's a reference to before the storm, so they must have all been geographically quite close to each other. Oh, I'm tr- I'm trying to think what it is, and I I might I might just go to the Googles to to try to find it out for me. But I thought they established that, um, their town, and I can't remember the name of it. In in life is, is and uh, Captain Spirit is okay. also in Oregon. You'd probably further yeah. inland though. Yeah, I mean, I I got the impression it was like further north and further inland, which is why they had uh so much more snow effect than we ever mm-hmm. saw at Blackwell. Yeah, that, that's my American geography failing me there. <laughs> um yeah for for captain spirit i it, for me it was another one of those things because uh i found it to be much more the, the characterizations of uh, uh chris and his dad felt a lot more realized and deep than what i got out of before the storm so it just felt it, it for that one it felt to me much more um it felt like another example of how Before the Storm was written mm. by different I, I don't know. I felt a little, just in my case, right. I felt a little bit that Captain Spirit was just pulling from more kind of generic character archetypes, like the drunk dad and the sort of slightly shy. I got, I got the possible impression that, even though they don't say explicitly, Chris could be autistic or something similar. I, I think that's something that's kind of hinted at, if, even if not explicitly discussed. So j- just That's to follow up, I just looked it up. Um, Captain Spirit takes place in oh. Beaver Creek, Oregon. So okay. It, so it they're is, in the same it state. is in Oregon, same state as Blackwell Academy, which was in yes. what, Arcadia Bay. Yes. Is that right? Am I remembering that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one okay. One thing that um, struck me which was in, in Captain Spirit, which was an interesting uh, sort of, I don't know, emerging symbology through the game mechanics you might say was that um while chris's dad is watching the game you can grab like the 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 nerf gun and blast them and and there'd be like they play around for a little bit or something right when i was playing i was i suppose this says something about what i was like as a kid or something but i actually saw that and i was already in Chris's mind space, I would have already been freaked out enough because I had gone to wash the dishes beforehand okay. and broke the the glass, mm-hmm. and been up, upset enough that I wouldn't have wanted to to do like anything with uh, yeah. uh, the dad. I can't remember his name. Um, so I wasn't going to like 
get it and shoot him because he already seemed pretty intent on watching the game, which in turn shows um, because uh, there's a point where you don't get that option anymore. So it's not like you're at the end when um, pretty much the only thing you have left to do is wake him up. Uh Like you can't, you can't go back and grab this and see what would have happened. Like the option is gone, which is, is a thing about the, I don't know if this was intentional because it would be pretty weird if you grabbed it, shot him, played, yeah, and then he has to go right back to sleep for you to wake him up. But so gameplay wise, it's weird. But if you look at it uh, uh, from a, a, a sort of some symbolic point of view, it shows how certain you might say low key child abuse kind of things, like an unhealthy environment, can lead to missed opportunities. Yes for yeah. emotional growth, parenting, relating, and so forth. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, Nick, in your playthrough, did you cook him the food? Uh, no. no. I think I missed that one. I did, I did okay. not either. In fact, I never saw the option to cook him food. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I did. I cooked him the food, and I then shot him with a gun, expecting him to be angry, but he was unhappy, and I, I just wondered if whether only by cooking in the food you basically put him in a good mood that he's then willing to be playful. But yeah, I think what, what one of the things that Captain Spirit does well in, in such a very, very brief window of play is that, and I and I hope this is the same level of detail that's going into Life is Strange too. is that you, the options presented to you and the different things you can do are so heavily contextualized and what you've done that I was yeah. reading some of the experiences that some of the people were having and some of the things that, that you can do and I remember thinking, like, I didn't think there was a single way you could do any of this stuff. But then, I mean, there is. You you can have Chris go up to the treehouse and smoke a cigarette. Wow. Yeah. Really? That's, wow, I did not know that. That is an option if you if you have to do things in a certain order and grab certain things and then and then go to the treehouse and then you will be presented with that as an option. And I thought, well, I would have never in a hundred years thought that that's a direction this could have gone. But there you go. Hmm. Yeah, that's what an interest. You go. Sorry. You can go. An interesting indication I've heard with Life is Strange 2 as well is that unlike in the first game, when you're in a conversation, you're not locked in. You can do other things. You can walk around while you're talking to someone. And that, I think, could give a lot more freedom to kind of put other things in place to then facilitate a different conversation later down the line. Because mm-hmm. I think if you go back and play the original Life is Strange now, it does feel quite stilted that you're just kind of going from fixed conversation to fixed conversation. Okay, now I'm going to explore a room and press look on every single item I can. <laughs> the, it, it, for for all of the credit that Life is Strange gets, the original, for its its good, good writing and it engages people and, and the characterization yeah. and all that, on a technical level, the story branching is not that sophisticated. Like, I've worked yeah. on games that are far more sophisticated and interesting um, it's storytelling games. Uh, and mm. it's... Um, if if all of this contextual stuff can happen, then it sounds like they've taken um, sort of the their their approach and 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 expanded it in a very interesting way. And that right there actually gets me far more interested in what we can expect out of Life is Strange too. Yeah, like one example I've heard written about is there a there's a point where you because you play as the older brother could be spontaneously doing something. And the younger brother can accidentally eat some poisonous berries and then get in trouble. And it turns out that there's a point at a, at a much earlier point where you can educate your son, uh, your brother, to not eat 
eat berries and stuff like that. And it's kind of a much more tangible and direct idea of your actions will have consequences, which is the often repeated phrase. Well, you think this is fable? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get the challenge of that in, in game design and that if you're going to present branching paths, you have to equally develop each of those branching paths until they either converge hmm. again or they come to their natural conclusion. And that's that's a lot of work. And especially it's a lot of work for some aspects of the game that some players are never, ever, ever going to see. But I mean, that's that's if you, this is the narrative style and this is the game choice that you're making. You have to do that. Otherwise, you know, players, especially now that we've been around and we played enough telltale games and, and so on. We're, we're a little bit more savvy now to. All right. So you say this is going to have consequences, but is it really going to have consequences? So you. Well, actually, here's here's yeah. one way that this goes. And this is it, it, if you want to get some real depth and variety in a narrative game like that, one way you can do it is instead of treat, treating everything like a hard branch to the story, say, OK, the player could do this, this or this, and it may or may not have a consequence. And that consequence doesn't mean like, OK, the story is hard branched here, but rather, OK, we got like this variable here and like. Hug Warren equals true or, you know, something like uh, arguments one is six or, or seven or, or whatever. You have like a counter. And then later, depending on what you've done, it starts coming up and presenting you new options. So instead of thinking of it as, as branching paths, it's more like um, more like Paragon. I'm getting really weird. Like what? Like the Paragon and Renegade systems in like Mass Effect, kind of a behind-the-scenes value that impacts upon your kind of choices later down the line. Yeah, it's something. I would, like I would that. hope something a lot more sophisticated than what Mass Effect did, because they <laughs> Mass, Mass Effect was probably one of the the worst examples of of the moral choice in that you basically were doing the exact same thing, but you know, you 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 got negative more whatever renegade points if you did it in a mean way and you got paragon points if you did it in a happy way but you did the same thing so it was really weird yeah uh yeah because it, it th this wouldn't be say and i i don't mean to imply that that this is what you're saying it would be but uh um it wouldn't be one single like variable axis that things are rotating around it'd be you know dozens even hundreds of things that, that can affect things later or you know as you're writing it because the the chapters keep each come out over time maybe you'd be like oh well maybe we'll set this up for later and then as you write you're like oh well that didn't matter and that's like or or you can think about it like in a telltale game where it, every time you see something where it says you know uh clementine will remember you said that like actually use that yeah well, one, the, I think the the best way I've actually finally seen this happen is that in uh, in the most recent, I think Batman: The Enemy Within from Telltale, when you get to episode five, it sort of it takes the choices that that you've made, and I don't know how actually like it, whether whether it takes into account all the choices you've made or really just the choice at the very end, and I'm presuming it's just the choice at the very end, but the potential is there depending on how you you left things in episode four, there were two completely different episode fives that you would play through. And it, it was all sort of interdependent on episode four, but like episode five was really two episodes. 
because there was one for one path and one for another path. And well, you know, I, I see what you're saying, Nick, down the narrative storyline, you have all these variables that can impact things in order to make people feel like they've made a difference in the narrative. Eventually you need to have a path where, you know, you, you end up bringing it back to life is strange. You end up in the hospital with, uh, what is it? Violet, I think was the name. Kate. Well, was it Kate? Kate Marsh. Yes. Thank you. Uh, you end up in the hospital with Kate Marsh, you know, because you, you were able to talk her off the ledge, but you know, if, if you didn't talk her off the ledge, you don't have that. And what was unfortunate about that is that it didn't actually really affect the story at all very much because the, mm-hmm. everything else is going to play out the same, whether you did it or not, but you, at least you have that scene in the mm-hmm. hospital with Kate Marsh that the other players didn't have because you, you were able to do that in, uh, in the previous episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's one of the, the harder branching things, but speaking of, of Kate, um, I had an experience. I don't know if, if you guys had this, uh, either. And, and I can understand from a, a, a design perspective because, uh, Max's powers aren't exactly well-defined. So when it came time for her event, you know, oh, now you can't rewind. You can just kind of pause to give yourself enough time to get up there to talk to her. And, okay, now we want this one choice to have consequences. We've kind of trained you to think, oh, you can back up and figure out what you're doing. Um, But they they take that away here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, okay, okay, you're in that situation. I went through that whole conversation tree, you know, blind kind of I actually didn't snoop around her room all that much I didn't remember so much of the things yeah that's a shame (laughs) so I didn't have I I was kind of just freewheeling it and and hoping for the best and I got apparently if you get an exact 50 50 you don't talk her down and you get an opportunity to like quote a bible verse and if you pick the one that's her favorite she comes down but if memory serves the line and this irritated me because this sounds it, it, the 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 verse that she wanted to hear was something about um, uh, come to me and I will give you rest. Yeah. And I, I I I when I saw that I'm like oh that can't be it because that is totally not what you should say to someone standing on the ledge of a building. <laughs> I so I get that so if, I, if memory serves me correctly um, the, the the Bible verses you're presented with and I don't know if this is the, if they present you with different options. Um, because they were they were three passages that were marked in her personal Bible, and and so the, basically you get the three and like so which one do you pick? And so when I looked through the three, and I was kind of I I went and looked in context of how they were presented, and I thought there's only one of these that I think I would tell to a person on the ledge, and I don't know if, and especially with her being as as extremely Catholic as she was. I, I think there was a way that I would say that give you rest would be like, you're, you're sort of reminding her like, by the way, this is, this is a mortal sin. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, th- this, this is not that path. And so that's, that was the way I took it. Cause I, I not only took the meaning of the Bible verse and then the actual literal phrasing of the Bible verse, but also I contextualized it with uh, the fact that she is Catholic and, and that, you know, in, in Catholic uh, ideology, there would, that suicide is a mortal sin. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the the crucial thing, and I, I haven't men- mentioned this in the past, but it's, it's worth being here, is that that point in episode two is really what sold me on Life is Strange because 
I a bit like what Nick I think was 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 kind of getting at is when you reach that point where kind of Max's powers start fading and you think, hmm, I've played enough kind of games. It's clearly the developers trying to not so subtly say, look, you despite these powers, you can't save everyone. You you have your limits, and and so when I first played it, I assumed that Kate would always die regardless. And so one of the biggest kind of shocks and resonating moments for me was that very simple moment where you finish the episode and it pops up all the different choices and it says this percentage of people let Kate die, but this percentage of people, uh, uh, Kate survived. And that moment where where I understood that Kate surviving was an option really, really hit me hard and really kind of sold me and made me think, wow, this game is, is really going places. Yeah, I when when I was there, I I had I had not read the stories in detail, but I was aware that there was a thing that was like some people were were, were shocked that they would go there or somewhere, and and I will be honest, when I saw that, I was like, oh come on, and I I just reversed the save and and started up from that decision point again. It's like nope, nope, I can game your system as yeah. well as you can. Mm-hmm. See, I, I saved her first try because, one, I did snoop around a room, and two, I had done all the other t- intangible things that would have assisted you. Ah. Like, I didn't mm. watch the video. I erased uh, I erased the link on the window. I, I did I did a lot of other things. And so I think I had yeah. saved her in, in terms of the game player's mind six ways from Sunday. No pun intended. <laughs> but I, you know, I had, bas- I had saved her a couple times over. So by the time I think I got to some of those some of those personal choices, I don't think they were a hundred percent necessary because I mean, I, I, I did basically every single positive and I'm pretty sure that there was some room for air. And I think I kind of by pure happenstance or just that I had a, a good gut call as to what they wanted me to do. Uh, I, I got basically a perfect save Kate score. Ah, so you didn't even get the Bible verse question. Um, no, it, I think it still comes up because I still got yeah, the Bible verse. Because I think I think you're like you're asked a question about her family because like her dad is the one person that kind of supports her. You're asked the Bible verse question and then you're asked something about the video, I believe. So they're kind of the three key key parts of that conversation tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, kind of a, a hard jump off of this thing, but to another point in life is strange. Uh, another thing talking about uh, Max's characterization in your agency over her uh, that I wanted to make sure was brought up is when you go into the alternate reality where uh, uh, Chloe's dad is still alive, but she got Mm -hmm. paralyzed in a car wreck. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is another example of something where I knew exactly what I wanted to say and nothing resembling that ever came up as a dialogue option. This is the not angry punk version of Chloe, who is still very much a, 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 um, a good student and a science nerd and all of that. And Max now knows that she has these powers, kind of understands some of them. And this is the most amazing thing. And one, she never tells Chloe about this absolutely amazing gobsmacking thing. You, you never have the ability or option to tell her about this amazing thing. And because of that, when she asks uh, um, for an assisted suicide, uh, you're basically not giving her full agency over her own situation there. 
Max is kind of making some of these decisions for her. I mean, whether or not you you uh, sort of decide to help her in that sense, you know things, Max, not necessarily you, but Max knows things that she is effectively withholding from Chloe, which would impact her decision-making process. This yeah. is something that just really stuck out to me as I was playing it. Yeah, it, it, is, it is certainly a difficult one. And I, and I think I... I get the sense, I think, from a broader narrative is that they kind of, they use the sort of alternative universe approach to kind of, as a kind of a way to put in other major kind of decisions that would would resonate with the audience. And I kind of think, I kind of think that's more the reason why that was put in. And it is kind of the broader sense of you have this idea of, while to Chloe, the Max that we're, that she's seeing is the max she's always known. We know we as the player know that this is the max that knows more than she thinks, and and it, and it could be that idea of kind of what do you do when you're kind of burdened with knowledge? And obviously, I think they kind of they lose out on that. But obviously, in the end, she elects to to re- reverse it, so that never happens, or at the very least, and this is kind of something they hint at the idea of kind of that all these timelines still exist. It's just that Max is kind of hopping between them. Yeah. I always kind of saw that less as they exist, but Max hops between them, or more like every time Max uses her powers, she branches yeah. reality into a different one. That's kind of what's implied in those ending sequences, yeah. that she's she's fragmented, or like causing all of these different um, yeah. uh, causes. Which is why all the weird stuff's happening, like the double moons and, and the tornadoes and stuff, is that you fragment reality so many different times, and you either need to let reality kind of... Mm or even itself out again with, with a, with a, a major event or you, you know, go back and undo fragmenting reality in the first place and, and thus, yeah. you know, letting all those other realities die off. But I forgot about the double moon. It is really weird that nobody else is freaking out. Yeah. About that. Like, you know, even, so let's say you're not an astronomy nerd. You know, if I saw two moons, I'd be like, well, I guess this is the end. you know like that's that's not a normal thing you just shrug off as well that's unusual and (laughs) well i I don't see that every day but it's yeah people should have been more freak like the snow okay i i get it weather does some freaky stuff sometimes i live in new england i know a thing or two about weird freaky weather but uh, double there's there's no there's no explanation for a double moon other than really bad things are happening. You know, like that's, that is a biblical scale event that, and then, yeah. (laughs) And then what's going to happen to the tides alone. Yeah. yeah. Well then what happens is all the whales beach themselves, which is um, first of all, people should have been way more concerned about because that would have been national news. That would have been yeah. like national news cameras on the scene, but instead, it's it the beach is completely clear, and Chloe and Max were able to go for a nice, lovely walk among the dead whales. Which <laughs> but it, it, I cannot stand that scene because I know like they're having a great conversation and all, but in my head, I'm just thinking the smell, the smell. Seriously, that smell has to be unbearable right there after a full day of those whales just hanging out on the beach. Yeah. yeah, and also speaking from personal experiences, wheelchairs are terrible on beaches. They just just don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, that was. Worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. Uh, so yeah, freaking no. 
that's one of those immersion breaking moments. Where yeah, like, no, it was, you it was people, the weakest episode for that people. reason. You know, you're trying to you're trying to give me all these like really deep feelings and, and this alternate reality and this alternate timeline. And in my head, I'm thinking like, well, how is she? And wouldn't it smell bad? And why isn't anyone caring about all this stuff? Like it was that that so, was sort of the the moment where I, I had to I, I tried hitting the I believe button and nothing happened, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is a little bit interesting to think that in, in a world where um, Chloe was still uh, uh, where Chloe's dad was still alive and, and there wasn't that particular trauma there that Max would have still gone to Blackwell and would have wound up in the Vortex Club and still wouldn't have talked to Chloe. Mm. Well, because Max is that, the worst. That's one of the biggest. And she's a, ba- sure, she's sure, a bad friend regardless. But I think... Yeah, and I've I've really tried to give this some thought as to so how does what happens to Chloe when Max is long gone and has probably ghosted her just as bad? How does Max become a totally different person? And I think some of that is, if you want to give Max some redeeming quality, is that Max carried some guilt about how she left Chloe, given that you know she basically her parents were in the car honking at the funeral saying get in. Um, and uh, especially if you have the the ending where Max never tells Chloe she's leaving until she leaves her a tape in her room for her to listen to after the funeral. Uh, I think there is a certain guilt that carried that Max carries around with her as a result of those events that maybe just maybe keep her from going into a full on sociopath like the Vortex Club. Mm. But when when you assuage that guilt and there's no death of William and so. I mean, and that was that was their sort of their last day together. So you assuage that guilt. Williams doesn't go. Uh, he doesn't die in that car crash. And so Max is just like later and leaves. Then Max just, you know, probably ghosts Chloe the exact same way and just goes happy go lucky through life, thinking that everything is about Max and everything is about me and I'm the center of the universe. And that fits in very clearly with the Vortex Club. I I don't know. But now that you've kind of reminded me of that, I think, and obviously this links back to what we talked about earlier. I think the more obvious thing that if you take kind of that guilt and Chloe out of the occasion is that not that Max would end up in the Vortex Club, is that she'd end up with Warren. Because, like, there's not even a slight hint that in kind of the, the main timeline that she even kind of sort of likes the people in the Vortex Club but just doesn't get invited in because she's not seen as cool as popular. Like, it's it's such a personality shift. I kind of, I don't know if there's enough evidence to say that if you take Chloe out of the uh, out of the equation, Max's entire personality would flip. I, I I'm I, I'm not sure to to that degree. I have no response. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I that's an extremely <laughs> valid point. It's you know, hey, there. This this one thing probably can't change Max in such a way, and I think what what I'm basically trying to do is I'm creating the, using the phrase I used earlier a cognitive bridge to. This doesn't make sense, but how can I make this work so that it doesn't break my immersion? Yeah. And that's kind of what I've done is Max spent her formative years feeling guilty for being such a terrible person um, while still not improving herself as a person because she's Max and she's the worst. Whereas (laughs) if you take out that guilt, Max just goes further down the bad person rabbit hole, um, if that's even possible. And we get a completely different, also awful version of Max, who would have been like the worst plus ten. Yeah, but then if, but then I don't truly think she was the bad version because if you're following Star Trek Mirror Universe rules, she should have had a beard. (laughs) (laughs) 
fair point. I have I I have no I have no counterpoint to that. That was perfect. Ah, uh, um, moving on a bit. Um, another couple of things I wanted to bring up from before the storm. Actually, one thing in particular that I noticed. I don't know if you guys had the same opinion, but I couldn't quite get past this. Was Rachel Amber? Her characterization in Before the Storm struck me as way too manic pixie dream girl yep, for yep. Chloe. I was, I was actually, yep. I was going to bring up that same. Yeah, she very much she she fit the trope, and I think if, if I if I had a major criticism of these games is that when they when they don't have time to characterize somebody fully, they just fall back on a trope. And I mean, you you see it. I mean, and you've seen it even as recently as Captain Spirit. It's the well, there's the alcoholic abusive father. Uh, here's the the busybody neighbor, the, the busybody yeah. neighbor. Here's the uh, the PTSD veteran who beats his family. You know, like it's and and you know, and one of one of my major criticisms, and I'm going to just talk about David for a quick second here, is that you know you fall on this trope, but like when on the episode where where Kate was, you know, um, going going to jump, and they they end that episode, and they have all these, you know, hey, if you need help, if you if you feel, you know, go to our website, follow these links, here's these organizations, get yourself help. But they portray David very much as a PTSD veteran. And he, I mean, and, and it's universally done. Like they, the man has textbook PTSD symptoms and never mm. once do they say, by the way, you know, if you are, you know, you can get help for this, go to wounded warrior. You know, you, they, they just portray him as being the bad guy. And it's like, well, that's what happens when you're a veteran is you get PTSD and you slap people around. And I just, I got, I took personal exception with that. That, you know, you'll you'll go out of your way to say, hey, if you're bullied, you can go here. If you're feeling, you know, these bad thoughts, you can go here. You know, you should go here in order to get help. But then here's a guy with PTSD and like, well, that's what happens. Sucks to be him. You know, don't you don't you don't get help. That's just you. You're a bad person. And I, yeah, that's actually one of the that. things I thought uh, before the storm did a bit better than life is strange was characterizing and contextualizing what David was doing. And, you know, the the whole, you know, uh, including uh, resources, references to resources to assist with PTSD is one thing. But they, they actually like put a through line, a, 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 a some thread of reasoning you can follow for why he's being overbearing in Before the Storm. But at the same time, I think that that actually reached a bit of a healthier conclusion than what we see in Life is Strange. Mm. Yeah. And it's just, it just, I, I was really took personal exception to the fact that they just fell on the trope of, well, you know, he's a veteran, so he's got PTSD, so he's going to be terrible and awful yeah. to the people around him without any kind of way of saying, but he could get help. Because that's where that's every interaction with David. I just thought this man needs help and he's not getting help mm. because he's being portrayed as a villain. Mm. On a related note, I kind of just had a general question to the both of you, because I think it's a topic that in recent times and even just in recent months of years uh, is dealt with a lot more openly is that I wonder what how you think Life is Strange deals with uh, mental health. Uh, kind of in, in a broad sense because like, I think often ignored one of the characters that this is most encapsulated with is Nathan that kind of yes he does terrible things but mm-hmm. you kind of the more you read into it you think it's not just the cliche he's a bad guy there is kind of more to it and I almost wonder as kind of mental health and discussion of mental health issues become more and more prevalent is that perhaps something we're going to see explored even more directly in Life is Strange too? 
I would hope so. I mean, well, the the professor guy, I can't remember his name, and somebody shouted out if you got it, but Jefferson. When, Jefferson, yeah. When when Jefferson is doing, he is clearly just he lacks all empathy. He is a sociopath and and a psychopath, and I think you can say that he just needs to be removed and a bad from, teacher on top of it. Yes, <laughs> he ne- he needs to be removed from society. You know, he needs to be incarcerated. He he needs. I don't know if there's a program that can bring you back from what he is and or what he's done. But Nathan is is portrayed, and before the storm even threw some more light on this, is that he not only does he have mental health issues, but he can, he has a bad environment, which is doing nothing to help those issues, but is instead probably exacerbating them to the point where. You know, he attaches on to a father figure who then turns out to be sociopathic and psychopathic and sends him down a path that was all in all avoidable. And I, you know, and we still don't get any indication that Nathan's going to get the help he needs in any conclusion. He either is going to get eradicated by a tornado or incarcerated and probably still not get what he needs there. And so I, I, I hope they do better, but they... They like to do a great job of characterizing people, but they definitely try to put people into the bin of um, your evil or your your good. Mm. You know, Victoria falls yeah. into the same thing is, you know, she gets portrayed in, cer- in a certain way. And I mean, she gets her comeuppance, but, it, <laughs> you know, like you never never really see. What, and I guess some people are just awful people, not that they deserve to be drugged, but not that I can't enjoy it if they are. But <laughs> You wow, I went down a dark path right there. <laughs> but it's it's just yeah, to Nick's point, I really hope they sort of do better with mental health because I I I personally found that uh they they try to portray these people as having these mental health issues, but other than Kate Walsh, there's no real way of saying you can get help you can get better you don't have to be like this it's it's just like with david mm. well you have ptsd so this is how you are la di da yeah yeah i i would say that one thing it with with respect to them having some characters just be you know representations of tropes i mean tropes exist for a reason and using them isn't in and of itself a bad thing um it it, it you you put a character into a slot because you do not have the time and resources to develop them out further. So they fill this role that I, I would say that that on its own is not necessarily a bad thing. No, I agree. And fully agree. I, I would. Yeah. There, there are some cases where I don't think it was utilized to its most appropriate effect, like with David and PTSD. Um, as for the, the broader mental health discussion, I would say that um, what we can look at is the Prescott family, if you only look at it through the lens of this topic, the Prescott family represents um, sort of the, um, this isn't quite the right term, but the old school uh, thinking of it where you just kind of deny it, push it under the rug. Um, everyone should be this kind of way. This is the right kind of person you should be. And if you're not conforming to this, therefore uh, it's like a moral failing or something like that. So they're trying to just impose discipline onto Nathan. And obviously that is not the right approach for this situation. Yeah. Like the sort of situation. Or or it's like trying to apply discipline, but also trying to 
protect him from legal disciplining. Mm. So yeah, it's like you know because it's all for, for them. It's all about the the Prescott name and so yeah. forth. Sorry for interrupting. No, it's fine. No, I was going to say I think that yeah, the point you make, you can almost see them as sort of one of those family that they might see things like anxiety as nothing more than say stage fright or just feeling nervous around people when the actual fact is that conditions such as anxiety can go much much further and are much much more affecting but i think there is kind of a general sort of bit of a generational shift with how mental health is is dealt with and that yeah truly understanding kind of how how far these conditions do go I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure if this will be a, uh, a theme of any, uh, significance in life is strange too. I mean, you'd, you'd have to have, it depends on what kind of characters they, they include and how the writing goes. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, my kind of, in a general sense, one, one concern I do have for life is strange too, is obviously as with most sequels, they've said, ah, it's going to be bigger. It's going to be more technically polished. And I kind of think, is that going to negatively impact on characterization? Like, if you look at the original Life is Strange, there weren't a huge number of, say, different locations, and it was a small cast of characters, but it meant those characters were really, really well fleshed out. And I just wonder whether that kind of desire to go for bigger and better is actually going to harm what makes the series so good. Yeah, if we're just going to see... Well fleshed out for the characters that weren't just tropes. Yeah, Yeah, that's the thing, is there's... When you make it bigger and you don't have enough time for everybody, is everybody just going to be a trope? Like, mm. is Captain Spirit going to be the only fleshed out character because they're the only one we've had time to play as? Yeah. And everyone everyone else is just going to be, you know, like, spin the wheel of characters. Yes. But, you know. Or maybe, well, maybe I mean, just make a couple more prequels. And then no. characters. That actually would be pretty cool. Yeah. I, I I would dig that. Say that you have a prequel for every episode to introduce a significant oh, no, side character. No, no, I, no, I, I think that'd be pretty awesome. I'd hate, no, I, quite frankly, I'd hate. I'd hate, I'd hate no. that. Not not. You would no. love that. You would love that. <laughs> but it it, it it depends on how you implement it. In in so far as are they required to understand the plot? Are they required to understand the character? Uh, or would it be a bit more like this is something that just adds depth to the character? Aside, uh, effectively, like side quests for a narrative game well no, well, my broad objection is i just feel that they'd kind of just be milking the name a little bit and that they wouldn't necessarily be high quality additions they would just know that there's people like us that would happily play them and it's kind of like like i always said initially when before the storm and life is strange 2 was announced i was really really concerned because i was thinking well life is strange was such a brilliant self-contained thing and are they going to ruin it by by continuing on, and obviously they've avoided that by, more in the case of Life is Strange 2, they're kind of severing all connections to the first season. But there was this concern of, like, are you doing this? Obviously, businesses, I think a a comment of yours, uh, Nick, is business got a business, which is very, very, very very true, and businesses are out there to make money, but you kind of think you could make money but alienate your audience if you announce, yeah, we're going to make 15 Life is Strange games, but they're all terrible. Like, that that would be my concern. Oh yeah. Um, but that's, that's the other thing too, is you consider, okay, what is the limiting factor on here? Is it resources? Well, life is strange. Did pretty well. You got squares backing, you got a successful game. That's kind of filled mm-hmm. up your coffers, giving you some, some clout. If you wanted to approach this, well, this, the, if, if you had these other things like captain spirit, as, as I said, side quests, if they also follow captain spirit, they would also be free. 
they'd just be yeah. available as previews yeah. and stuff. So that's not that doesn't necessarily affect the business bottom line. You would only they would be completely supplementary. I think the limiting factor is the number of indie bands that they can find. The soundtracks i think yes you know that's that's the thing a lot of people love the soundtrack it, it the music i like a lot of different kinds of music and i'm not disparaging it but it's not my scene yeah i, I think we that, we that. like very similar music you and i so i think i was in the same boat as i i, I can <laughs> objectively it's very good music but if i was sitting in my treehouse or on a park bench or in somebody's house and i could put on something to listen to that would not be it not in a hundred years <laughs> <laughs> audience take a second to imagine greg a full-grown man inside a treehouse listening to music like a teenager if anyone wants to draw some fan art that would be i, I would have <laughs> i would love to see fan art of that of greg as judge greg in a treehouse <laughs> listening to some india rock yeah looking out over the frozen lake in his backyard might as well have me smoking a cigarette too while i'm there <laughs> don't smoke kids a filthy habit i quit a long time ago uh yeah one other thing that i that i wanted to touch on was um and i don't know if if either of you have any thoughts about it but in before the storm uh rachel amber was somewhat symbolized by fire where you know when she's at her most uh emotionally chaotic is when the fire is just sort of inexplicably yeah. raging across the hills and and when she calms down it just stops or yeah like i know i thought i thought she had like super saiyan powers there for a second and then they just never did anything I, with that <laughs> it was, was just something in the background yeah. there are strong points where it almost implies like is she causing these fires like yeah i don't know there was one point and you kind of think this is a universe where they have obviously got people with abilities and they elect to make what i think the correct decision of not actually explaining where the abilities come from it's not a meteorite it's not a wizard they just say look it's a thing but yeah and i almost well I that's because if... life is strange <laughs> <laughs> and cue credits <laughs> <laughs> sorry i couldn't help it you presented the opportunity yeah, um yeah but that's also like with uh, chloe's sort of dreams of her father where he's pointing out like oh, it's it's you know, chaotic and you got to be careful about fire or else you wind up getting burned. And then there's the parallel of, of Rachel. Is she like her mother where she's introducing all of this chaos and, and whatnot. And I, it, I get what they were going for, but like a lot of things that I perceive with before the storm, it seemed a little bit, it, it not as refined, not as engaging, not as deep as the stuff from, uh, life is strange proper and um uh captain spirit mm. well i it's it's the it's the rogue one titanic syndrome where you know as as much as you want to get invested in this in this relationship between chloe and rachel amber you know the iceberg's coming right you know you know none of these characters were in a new hope so you know <laughs> you, you you can basically you you already know where this ends and and so you you sort of have to you you have to try to suspend that for as long as you can, but you do know where it ends. And of course they made the really, really, really tasteless decision to actually draw that line for you at the very end of before the storm, which I think mm, was, yeah. was really, was really awful and did not need to happen. And yeah, I, that, if they, if they could take really that one back, I'm sure they would. Yeah. It's yeah. That, that was a weird one. I don't I, the, That's was the only, was it possible to skip that? Cause I know it was post 
credits. So if you skip the I, credits, you just go, could you skip the scene or not? I don't know if you could skip the scene. I never, I never actually tried it to be yeah. honest. I well, mean, cause, I just because I watch the credits because it's a thing I do, oh and then God. that happened, and I was like, oh come on. Now, I know Marvel has conditioned us to watch credits, but I tend to only do it with Marvel. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. I've definitely sat in scenes and watching to the end of movies just just in case. Yeah, I usually send a text to somebody like, "Hey, I just finished Batman v Superman. Do I need to stay to the end of this thing or not?" Yeah, no, the text will be, "Hey, I just watched Batman v Superman. Why did I do this?" <laughs> it wasn't a total waste of time. That's like saying having the flu is not a total waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff it. The hero talk on Batman v Superman got a lot of hits. <laughs> yeah, or not as many as your hero talk on Frozen. So there we are. No, although the hero talk on Frozen did way better than I ever thought it would. So. Well, of course it would. <laughs> it, it, uh, it it got more than it deserved to get. I, I will say that. Not that not that it, it was it was all my fault because the host was flawless. Mm, yeah, you ha- you you have already been upstaged there. I I completely got upstaged. Although we so we, we tried to record a sequel on Beauty and the Beast last weekend, yeah. and I don't think any of that audio is usable. <laughs> like none of it. It's which is sad because I I could probably pull some sound bites out yeah. of there to like drop them in other episodes, but there was there was no coherency. Um, nor was there a consistent distance from the microphone maintained. <laughs> so I don't think any of it's usable. Well, that's the thing. Given that you tend to do. Pop- or, or does that mean it's perfect? <laughs> I might just release it as raw audio and just say, this is what I'm dealing with. Yeah. And not even not even clean it. Just say, there it is. Well, I was just thinking... This is, when you get Hero Talk Junior, that's how yeah. it sounds. Well, given that you tend to do post-credit stingers in your normal episodes, just put sound bites from that in the next few normal episodes of Hero Talk, and the audience have to like piece together what was going on. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was a, uh, and I was so excited because I, I, I didn't. She wanted to record. She basically asked, like, "Hey, can we record Hero Talk?" And I'm like, "Oh, great! I get to do another one of these." And then, and then we record that. It was like, "Wow, this is." I think I caught lightning in a bottle for Frozen. <laughs> anyway, yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay, now that we're done talking Hero Talk, let's uh, let's get back to the uh, topic at hand, which is life is strange. If anyone still remembers that. <laughs> Yeah, Judge Emily crashing in on different podcasts. <laughs> yeah, as, as um, she does. Um, so yeah, life is life is strange before yeah. the storm, huh? That was a, well, I, that was a yeah, that was an interesting. I, I, th- I think addition. at the very least, if if we are kind of starting to run out of topics, we should cover the couple of questions that we have got. Which uh, oh yeah, yeah. I was I was just going to point out that life is strange before the storm. A lot of these problems that we brought up with this, I think, really boil down to that it was a different yeah. developer. It wasn't yeah. Don't Nod. It was Deck Nine, mm-hmm. and everything gets a little weird because of that so yeah there i mean and there's yeah. not to say that it's bad some people really like arkham <laughs> origins but some people don't consider it part of the trilogy yeah. and i think you're going to see the same thing here is there are going to be those people who love before the storm like i did i liked it better than than the first series and i will openly admit that and it made it changed my mind about chloe and it reinforced a lot of my feelings on max and it portrayed david a bit better though still not in a way mm. that didn't upset me and I like yeah. the argument mechanic and it felt like it was a little bit more concise for me because I didn't spend hours and hours and hours reversing time and going back and watching things happen. <laughs> Although I did rob me of that moment where I got to watch Warren beat the, the ever living crap out of Nathan about 17 times in a row before eventually <laughs> deciding to stop him. So <laughs> yeah, um, that, 
I can understand how you can still take stuff out of before the storm for me with Chloe. Like I didn't need the additional contextualization because like I said, that one moment in chapter three where she, she said, you know, my, my dad abandoned me. It's like, Oh, for me, that was just like a hard turn. Just like, Oh, I get you now. And it was just that hard swap from annoying to sympathetic. Yeah. For me. I, I think I liked Chloe better in before the storm. And I think it made me, um, be able to see the world through Chloe's eyes a lot better, and I appreciate mm-hmm. that for it. Yeah. One thing I do have to point out, though, is what this is. This is probably not the most important thing, but it really broke immersion for me. So I believe it was the first episode before the storm. So Chloe went out, snuck out to go to a concert. Okay, if she snuck out, it had to be after what? At least ten o'clock. So she probably had to walk there. So that would be at least an hour. So we'll say it's 11 when she gets to the place, gets in, you know, gets into a fight, watches the concert, has to walk back home. So let's say she's there for two hours for the concert. It's now 1 a.m., 2 a.m. She gets home, goes to sleep, gets woken up in time to have breakfast, have a conversation with her mom, have a conversation with David, get driven to school and then get to school in time to play a session of Dungeons and Dragons with the nerds before the first class would have started. This is Chloe. So I'm, I'm of the impression that. that Blackwell Academy is one of those new age schools where school just starts when you want it to start. And there's no, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> saying random stuff. Either. No, I think that's just some, some of it is you have to suspend disbelief enough so that you can have these experiences yeah. and, and build the world a little bit. And so, again, sometimes I just have to hit the I believe button. And in this case, it worked. And that Dungeon <laughs> Dragon sequence is probably one of the best sequences of Before the Storm. So I won't begrudge it for trying to jam that in there. Yeah. And I was wrong because apparently there is, obviously, there's like the, the time you play that the first time outside the school. And I think you can play it a second time if you do certain things. Yeah, I did not yeah, do those things. Yeah, you can things. play it in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. But like you, I, you have to do certain things in order to get that to happen at that hospital, yeah. which is which I did not do, and I was sorely disappointed because I stood around that hospital room for a long time waiting for the option to present itself, and it never did, and I was quite upset. Yeah, I still took the pudding though. <laughs> Wait, was that not, was that an option? <laughs> oh yeah, no, I yeah, thought no. it was. I thought you had the option to take the pudding. That yeah. Oh well, no. Hmm. There you go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not going to talk well, about pudding right now, so we're no. just going to have to keep it. Well, that's a, that's another fan opportunity, Greg. Stealing pudding. <laughs> Judge Greg eating pudding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, so help me, that's if it. anybody creates that fan art and sends it to me, I will make it my avatar. <laughs> I promise you, I will do this. I will make a stick figure drawing. <laughs> <laughs> on non on on binder paper that isn't level, so you'll have the lines going across it, but not horizontal or vertical. <laughs> I'm a man of my word. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, did you guys have anything else you wanted to touch on, or shall we get to the? Questions? Well, I think we should get to the questions. Yeah, purely for a time All sense. Right. I, I get the real idea. We could stay here for like five hours, but uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. 
so let's see if I can actually extract all of them from this uh, thread. I, I have, if I have, you guys I have two noted down if, if you want me to start things off. I have none of them noted down. Okay. Not so, my podcast. First of all, I don't have to care. First question from the Monster Closet. Uh, what, in your opinion, is the best and worst playthroughs? <laughs> I will open this up to, to... Let's start with Greg. All right. So, Lee, um, I think... The best playthrough is mine, and the, I, I think the best playthrough. I mean, Max, Max, and Chloe basically they they sort of get together over the course of it. You put Warren off. You 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 save Alyssa from getting smacked in the face a dozen times, and then you get to the end and you have to sacrifice Chloe because it's the you know you have your Spock moment there where the the needs of the many have to outweigh the needs of the one. And in that case, I'm not just saying sacrifice Chloe. Chloe was ready to be sacrificed, but she had to make Max do it. She was thankful for having another few days. Yeah. So basically, Max basically had to sacrifice, you know, sort of having this new life and absolving her guilt for her previousness. And so I think that's probably the best playthrough. Um, I don't know if there's a best or worst playthrough before the storm because it all ends in the same place anyway. So I would say mm-hmm. as long as you get to drug Victoria. Well, I, I suppose with Before the Storm, it's do you turn in Rachel's dad or not? And I chose not to because sometimes the truth isn't good enough. Sometimes people deserve to have their faith restored. Mm. Going a little dark night there for people who recognize that reference. <laughs> but yeah, basically the same reason why Alfred didn't give the note to Bruce Wayne Um Sometimes that's, you know, that's that was my thought. And I guess and part of that was also like she doesn't have that much longer anyway. So why make it miserable mm. for her? Um, mm. So that's kind of dark. But that was also I, I, I made that decision knowing full well where it was going. And I figured she might as well have a little bit of happiness on the way there. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, so I think that's probably I think the worst would be if you <laughs> I mean, I guess the worst would be is if you put off Chloe, you ended up with Warren, you, dev- you, wow. you <laughs> smacked in the face and, and also you let Arcadia Bay get destroyed. I mean, that's the thing is it's <laughs> really hard. Get with those- Warren and then still save Chloe. Yeah. That's gonna- Cause th- that last decision really sort of, it's, it's, it was a very good way of tying it up because it really does undo every other decision you made throughout <laughs> yeah. the course of the game. So I would, I would not, so I don't want to always make it come down to that last decision, but I really think best playthrough is that you develop the real strong relationship between Max and Chloe, but then Max has to sacrifice so that one, they can rebalance the universe Two, Chloe is okay with it. And has basically said she was thankful for the opportunity and three Max then atones for her, her previous actions by actually granting Chloe's wish. So, you know, what's, I think a couple of points that I want to get on that. Uh, just in response is uh, for one thing, one of the reasons that Chloe blames everybody else is one, one of her lines of dialogue says that, it, well, if I didn't blame everybody else, I'd have to blame myself and fuck that or something to that extent. And the, uh, if you kind of put those two thoughts together, uh, one of the conclusions you can take from it is the, the week with Max has, has helped Chloe to realize to take some ownership of her own choices which is a little weird when you also have Max rewinding time so she doesn't have to take ownership of her choices, but that, you know, Max. Yep. (laughs) Also, um, you mentioned uh, having Alyssa not getting smacked in the head. Um, I believe if you uh, 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 save her every time and you're going through, 
Yeah, you can't save her in the end, and she, if you try to interact with her, she falls into a fire. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I didn't know this, but it's like if you don't help her at all, she's like, "You won't help me," and and then leaves. If you help her too much, she's like, "Every time I see you, you're always there to save me." What the hell is wrong with you? And then she like panics and falls over or something. Yeah, because because every time you interact with me, something bad's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. but if you hit the sweet spot, then uh, what? Because this is what happened with me is that. At the, at the very end, you save her the one last time. And then she says, wow, you're always there to save me. And then something bad happens, like right at the very end. And she pushes Max out of the way. And she's like, there, I saved you. Now we're even. Like, yeah. we're not even <laughs> almost even. But I'll let you have this one. Yeah. yeah. So what I did was like, oh, I tried to interact with her. And she fought because I did save her every time because I'm trying to be the nice thing. But, you know, Max didn't actually fill in any of the gaps in between. Um so, uh, you know, she falls and I'm like, oh, OK, rewind time. I'm just going to leave you there. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I can't help the situation, it seems. I, I did not know she could fall into the fire. That's new information to me right now. So I apparently because I did try to save her every time. I apparently missed one and I refused to go back. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so there. That's yeah. interesting. You learn something new. Yeah, I'd, I'd say. Yeah, I'd say Greg has pretty much covered all points in terms of best and worst playthrough. The only element I would say that's part of a worst playthrough is having to play episode one and it's lovely dialogue. I'm being completely hella serial right now. I mean, that dialogue is just... <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah, the, 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 dia- the dialogue definitely... Well, it it reminds me that I'm I'm not young and a teenager and in school. <laughs> How do you do, no, fellow kids? <laughs> But the thing is, I don't even think that, like, teenagers don't speak I would have no idea. This is what adults think. <laughs> I mean, if we're being perfectly honest, I would have no clue how teenagers talk. They, they could have been speaking Klingon for all I knew. And like, oh, that's teenagers talk Klingon now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. And uh, for my for my take, I, I think uh, uh, Greg hit it pretty good. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean... In terms of the quality of the playthrough, like we said, there's only so much deviation you can have. So a lot of it is the player filling in those gaps and meaning themselves. So a lot of this is going to have to be headcanon. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, from Anthony Rossi, Video Game Crosstalk. Um, the first question, isn't it strange how life finds a way? Uh, which I think was was uh, uh, just Dr. a reference to us Dr. being able to schedule this. Yep. Yeah, life yeah. Uh, uh, finds a way. Yeah, but the act- that was the worst Jeff Goldberg impression I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm not known for my not enough us. <laughs> okay, hey, you, you, had a pretty, you had a Fun. decent Ultimate Warrior at one point. I did. And you had a really good. Warrior, yeah, you, uh, you could do our friend Austin really well. I could do Austin incredibly well. Yeah, I definitely once tricked somebody on a on a phone call that. When we when we were in a group chat and Austin was in the group chat and I started talking like Austin and somebody was like I don't know who's talking right now, but yeah, that was on uh, that was when we finally got everybody together for a game of City of, City of Heroes. Heroes. But the actual question, um, uh, did you ever pick out one of the characters and think, "Yep, that would have been me back in the day"? So uh, let's I have, switch it up. I here. have an answer. Who's going to say yes. Warren? I have an answer. Yeah, it really doesn't reflect. It doesn't reflect well on me because we've ripped him to shreds. 
but the broad kind of I'm yeah, it's I, I don't even want to defend this. Just, <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Anyone yeah. that yeah, anyone in the odd chance that anyone listening to this podcast when it releases someone that knows me personally, you'd yeah, you'd probably you'd probably fit that fit that assessment. Like to be fair, like even if we like ignored the gender and stuff, like I wouldn't say I'm particularly like Max. I'm definitely not like Chloe. No, yeah. I, I, I no, actually no, no, no. no. I've got sorry. I've I've got a better option. Okay. I am a hot dog man. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I can actually kind of see myself a little bit in uh, in Chris, Captain Spirit. Mm. Oh, okay. I I think I think that's probably the, the character with whom I probably have the most personal relation. I mean, I'm not I not exactly. It's not one for one, obviously, but it's uh, it probably was the closest with with Chris than with a- anybody else. Uh, which is why I was actually a little bit more disappointed that I found out he was just a side character in Life is Strange 2 and not one of the main characters. Or, and so, mm. but anyway, I, you know, I'll play that and I'll see how that works out. But I, I, I liked Chris. I mean, I guess I have a hard time seeing myself in some of those other kids because they're all, by their very nature, very artistic and very expressive. And it's not me because, you know, they wouldn't be at the school otherwise. Um, yeah. As, as a, as an honorable mention, not that I see myself in him, but, um, and I think part of the reason why I, I immediately resonated with David and why he needs help is because when when you advocate for veterans is the in the way that I do and, and you you know you try to to do what you can and, and help out through various organizations and you see a character like David who's portrayed as the villain and you can't help but look at him and say like you know there but for the grace of God go I yeah all right and um, for for my sake. Yeah, it would probably be Warren. I'm I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> same 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 caveats. It doesn't mean that uh, you know justifying or excusing some of his skeevier behavior, but uh, I I can understand some of what goes into the line of thinking that can lead you doing some of some of that. You know? Yeah, I, I I am am definitely one of the more awkward dorky people around. So yeah. Okay. Um, next question from uh, Brendan from Almost Better Than Silence. Um, does anyone think this story could be told through other media while still retaining its impact? I think if it was done as a movie show book, the writing would fall flat without the player's presence. No, I, I agree. And, this yeah. is this is a story that has to be told in the in a, in an interactive media. Um, whether mm-hmm. that could have been done in a movie, uh, maybe if one of those fancy theaters with the interactive buttons where everyone votes on what happens next. I don't know, but mm. I, I just think without, without certain player agency, the, the resonation and like the, the impact of Max's abilities and powers and choices is just kind of lost. I think before the storm, if before the storm played out as a movie or something, or it's like a prequel animated series or something, I don't think you would have seen the same loss of impact. But for the life is strange, you need to be able to see the world through Max's eyes and you need to be able to rewind at will to sort of see the, the, the abilities that she's wielding. And I don't think you could have done that effectively. Otherwise, Mm. my, my biggest problem is there has been rumblings of a life is strange TV series. Uh, My biggest problem is that I think because the game is, is so dialogue heavy, you'd need to cast all the voice actors in their respective roles uh, for the TV show. But the problem is a lot of the voice actors don't look like their characters. So you kind of hit that fundamental problem. 
I'm going to go ahead yeah, and say well, this right it, now and screw the consequences. I, I like Chloe's voice actress in Before the Storm better than in the, the traditional game. Ugh. I'm going to go say that. Yeah, don't at me. <laughs> no, I have. <laughs> oh, just uh, no. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, come at me, bro. Yeah, <laughs> it's I like her better. She's now the voice of Chloe for me. Uh, it's it was it was very weird for me to go to farewell and hear the original voice again because I just get, remember thinking you're not Chloe to me now. <laughs> Your Chloe is dead. There is a new Chloe. I'm not. I, I, I'm not going into this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I think this is also something that needed to be done as a game to to get some of these uh, the mechanics the 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 player agency to get that effect of um as i described before that kind of corridor effect of the characterization of the of the person of the main character the the player can kind of fill in the gaps and you wind up with these different interpretations but um it's a bit like um is this is might be a little dorky and and off, but uh, uh, Nicholas Meyer in the director's commentary for Star Trek Two referenced the 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 uh, I think someone else who said it that um, uh, uh, film is terrifying and is that in that it is the only art form that presents everything to the audience. Um, whereas you know in a book you have to imagine it, in radio you have to imagine it, or any any of this other stuff. Uh, paintings, you have to interpret things and, and what have you. And in a video game, um, elements of it are withheld from the audience and the audience has to, uh, act, the player has to do something to extract this content. Um, and in that process, uh, certainly within one of these narrative games, you start imposing a structure of how you interpret the character and how you move the character around within this corridor of their own limits and characterizations. Um, and that sort of personal impact does do a lot to put someone into the situation and um, sort of get into the protagonist's head and their own world. Without that kind of uh, audience or player buy-in, it doesn't work the same. Yeah, I, yeah I'd, I'd agree with that. I think... Even though video games as a medium is not is not always especially well respected, the kind of that mix of showing you a lot with an element of player agency does kind of lend itself to approaches that you just can't do in in other ways. And I think there's such a tendency these days to like let's do remakes and adaptations of every kind of major bit of media, and it's like no, let's kind of just keep these where they belong. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> okay. And I believe this is the final question from the Almost Better Than Silence uh, Twitter handle. Um, will any of you be reading the graphic novel Continuing the Story of Max and Chloe? I think it comes out in November. Um, Probably. I would perhaps, although I'm, <laughs> I don't know how um, widely available it will be. Um, but the only thing that concerns is that that graphic novel, surely that means that one ending of Life is Strange is canon and one isn't. Yeah, basically, they, from what I understand, they picked the, the Save Chloe ending and they just yeah. carry on their adventure from there. So yeah. It's, it's I mean, not, well, if it's a continuing story of Max and Chloe, I, I, I don't think Max is digging up uh, Chloe's 
uh, dead body. No. Well, weekend of bunnies. Weekend of bunnies. But I mean, but it, it, <laughs> there, there are ways you could work it the other way. Like if, if if Max accidentally finds her powers some other way and changes some other major choice, and all of a sudden Chloe's back, it could it could happen. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a kick if, you know, going back to try to save uh, uh, Chloe's father results in young Max realizing or discovering the power and then it causes this whole other weird ass branch of reality to come out? Yeah. Well, no, you know, the, you know, the answer is we all know that obviously uh, Doctor Strange, he visited, what was it, 15 million different futures. One of them is probably Life is Strange and he just came in, quick flick the time stone, problem solved. <laughs> so I think, I think that would be the best way to do it is right at the very end Dr. Strange shows up and is like yeah I fixed this and he just makes the tornado go away he's like yeah you kids and your drama and he just goes back yeah and then oh, oh my god this is why they can't reveal the title for Avengers 4 because it's actually the Avengers Blackwell Academy <laughs> oh canon yep <laughs> But yeah, no, I'll probably be reading that. And I think next month there's a like a Blackwell Academy handbook or something that features Max and Chloe. Yeah, I've and seen I'll, that as I'll well. I'll probably read that too. Mm. Ah, so Nick, are you going to be planning to reading them? Oh, like I said, I don't know how widely they're going to be released. Uh, so mm. yeah, if, if it made its way over here, I'd, I'd certainly give it a, give it a look. But uh, again, I think it it does kind of wrangle me that an idea of kind of leave season one as its own self-contained thing. Like it, it's, like it didn't really leave me with any questions. Like oh, so they go off and explore Midwestern America. Like where can you like in some ways you can go in any direction you want with that kind of story. But I kind of think there's nothing I want to see. There's no part of me that thinks hmm, I really wish they could have showed us X, but they haven't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also think that um, Life is Strange was such a a, a very contained story. So I, I don't feel any compulsion to follow like a continuing story. Yeah. I mean, it for me, chances aren't no. Uh, if someone presented it to me, I'd, I'd probably look through it. But I got a lot of other demands on my time which is somewhat indicated by how long it's been since I've uh, uploaded a podcast. Yep, so, uh, we, 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 yeah, we'll, we'll second that. We could probably even third that for Hero Talk, to be honest. <laughs> yep. Okay, so I believe that's all the questions, unless uh, either of you guys happens to I have seen Nick, something. Did, you you missed, posted but... something. Did anybody, uh, and no. I'm saying GWB, Nick, uh, yeah. did uh, anyone respond to yours? No, that just evolved into a... Should all the podcasts in the loosely connected network meet? meet, meet <laughs> Go to Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, that, that eventually. And I, I just want to put out there right now for for that for that string of of, of tweets I saw is, um, Disney World. It's a more con- concise. Ex- I know, like all those other people, because they're close to Disneyland, they want to go there. But I'm a Disney Vacation Club member at Disney World. Oh god! So it it doesn't benefit me to go to Disneyland, whereas Disney World, I can I can book ahead of time and I can stay at my home resort. So just it's not saying. all about you, Greg. Some of us will have to fly halfway around the world. You know what? It is yeah. all about me. All of these decisions are mine and mine alone to make. Sure thing, Max. Oh, oh! Fan out, fan out, of Greg as Max Caulfield. Do it now. In the oh. in the do, in the doe T-shirt and everything. <laughs> the doe T-shirt, or or just put me in the Rachel Amber clothes that everybody in that entire town recognizes. 
All right. Do we have any final thoughts on it? On uh, Life is Strange before we start signing off? Just one final thought. Max is the Mm -hmm. worst. (laughs) Pineapple belongs on pizza. It does. It really does. I I defer to Morgan Freeman. He says pineapple and pepperoni is a... I I have never tried that, but I have to say, just simply by the fact that Morgan Freeman says that's good, I really want to. I have had it. It is good. Yeah. I like a little hot sauce on my pizza with my pineapple. Hmm. I... Like like a pineapple ham and hot sauce, I call it a fiery Hawaiian. Ooh. I'm pretty sure everyone else calls it that too. I don't think I made up that name, but that's that's how I like my pizza. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, we have gone on for quite a long time, so I'm going to skip any war story segment. <laughs> Probably, for the best. I, I think that's fair. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, thank you, Nick from Gamers Without Borders, for joining me anytime today. Um, uh, no, not any time or else I wouldn't have had to wake up at an ungodly hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In, in fairness, for those who don't know, I'm in the lucky position that as, as we're finishing up, it's two in, it's two in the afternoon for me, but yep. I woke I, uh, up at three 30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got, I got up at about quarter of seven for this. Cause I'm on the East coast. The only time zone that matters. And, <laughs> um, I was actually already up anyway, so it wasn't really like I had to wake up then. I just sort of had to get everybody situated upstairs so I could come down to record. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, yes. And thank you, Judge Greg from Gamers Without Borders and The Real Hero Talk and guest starring on numerous other things when, when you know, you do it. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. This was fun. Yeah. Uh, all, was I'm fun. always willing to come on anybody's podcast and talk Life is Strange. Of course, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe after, and I, maybe after Life is Strange Two is done, we'll come back and and review. We will absolutely have to come back and do this again, <laughs> of course, or at the very least, and try and rope in the almost better than silence lot as well. Uh, I'd have to yeah. upgrade. We should just my do this after every episode, right? <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> that's easy. Oh God, no. no. But yeah, no. but yeah, we should we should try to get some of the other folks involved because there's a lot of strong feelings here. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, and who, and who on this podcast has already pre-ordered Life is Strange 2? Because I have. I, I have not because I refuse to pay full price for video games. I don't pre-order but things. Be, well, mm-hmm. yeah, but to be fair, that it's not, you're not really paying full price. Like most, ga- most games are about $50, $60, whereas this was like 30 or 40 Yeah, I think it was 40 I mean, I, I don't say I probably – I think I did pay full price for uh, Before the Storm. Yeah. So I'll, I'll probably get it, and I'll – I don't know. I just – as a general principle, I don't like to pre-order things, yeah. um, and I don't know if there's any weird pre-order bonuses. I don't think I think it's patches on a backpack, so I don't really it, care. It is. Yeah, to be fair, the only reason I pre-ordered it is I wanted to make sure that this time around I was involved with kind of the broader discussion yeah. while the game is still out. So I just kind of wanted yeah, to make that's, sure. Yeah, that's work. been a lot more fun, I will say. And and also these episodic games like this really they work within my schedule so much easier because I it's not like. I have to sit there and think, well, how much time in the next couple of weeks am I going to have to play this game? Because to play one episode, I can usually kick it out in one night, maybe a little spillover to the next night. Mm. And then I'm done for for a month. So then, you know, I know it's not a huge investment of my time. So that being the case, I would much rather play it in the episodes as it comes out rather than try to play it in in one full session so Hmm. and i'm a binger i'm i would probably wait until everything's done and then a month later uh get the whole thing and try to get through it once 
Well, but yeah, I mean, but you can get these games like when I got Life is Strange, I got Life is Strange after it had already completely come out. And so I was able to just play everything back to back to back, which is a unique experience in and of itself. But I was also able to do it for five dollars, which is pretty good. I did it for free because it was on PlayStation Plus. Wow. Oh, that's right. It came out on PlayStation Plus. That was that was a uh, great thing because I'm still looking at at, at getting into um, uh, Beyond Two Souls and and Heavy Rain for the Quantic Dream stuff to 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 see those. And I I was mm-hmm. debating for a while. It's like, do I want to spend this much for them just to see what they're like? I don't know if I like them or not. And they uh, they both came up on PlayStation Plus for free, like in sequence. Like, well, that solves that question. <laughs> yeah. PlayStation Plus has some pretty good. I mean, so does Xbox Live too. Yeah. I, I watch them both, but yeah, I think PlayStation Plus tends to win more than it doesn't. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay, are we all good? We all ready? Good. I'm good. All right. So, thank you guys for coming on. Thank you everybody for submitting questions. I don't remember. I don't have the list in front of me, so I called you all out when 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 the questions came. Um, and uh, as I also established on Twitter, I'm terrible at at. Uh, promotions <laughs> so um yes um and thank you everybody for joining us here on uh behind line radio if there's anything you'd like to hear us talk about here on behind line radio or see me write about on the behind the line article series uh you can always get in touch with me at uh kinetic at enthusiacs.com that's k-y-n-e-t-y-k at enthusiacs.com i do in fact check that email address every so often uh, but it's more common now for people to get in touch with me on Twitter. That's Kinetic Nose at K Y N E T Y K K N O W S. See y'all next time, everybody. See ya. Goodbye. Behind the Line Radio was presented by Enthusiax.com. For more podcasts, articles, let's plays, and more, visit us at Enthusiax.com. Follow us on Twitter at Enthusiax, Facebook Enthusiax, or YouTube Enthusiax. The Enthusiax is also a part of the Loosely Connected Network. Follow us and many other great creators at TheLooselyConnected.com or on Twitter at TheLooselyConnected. That's connected with no vowels and one end.